Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you are blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church and its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to redchurch.org.au. Good morning, Red Church. I'm Britt, and it's a delight. Oh, hello. Thank you for responding. Wonderful. But yeah, how great summer. It's really nice. We're only our second week in, really, to January. Some of us have begun to go back to work, or maybe, unfortunately, never left. Teachers in the room, you guys are sitting back. You've still got a bit more time. Good on you. It's good. Um, but at this time of year, we kind of come to those moments of like, okay, I'm going back to work. I've got to think about what the year looks like. Let's do some planning. We kind of begin our, you know, goals for the year. And maybe there's some of you out there who loves a good New Year's resolution. Anyone? Yeah, there's a few. There's a few. They've already begun to form. And there is something exciting about anticipating the year and what God wants to do. And, you know, for the fa- past few years, it's been a bit difficult to do that. So I found myself this week almost astonished to think I could put things in a calendar further than a few weeks out. What a gift to be able to do that. And I want to start by saying, I believe God has a bunch of stuff he'd like to do this year. So as we come to look at 2023, I want to ask and ponder, what is God's New Year's resolution for your life? What does he want to put down on his list? What does he want to tell you today? Actually, this is what I'm going to do. Here's something I want to work on. Here's where we're headed. And I think the things that God would want to put on that list are very simple but also very powerful. I believe there are people in this room who are needing a new story, a new narrative. They've come to the end of themselves and they're like, I actually don't know anymore how to break through these things. I need a different story than what the world's telling me. Others who need healing. And God's saying, this year I'd like to heal this in you. I'd like to restore this in you. Or maybe it's a sense of feeling addicted or caught in something I can't quite break out, whether that's a relationship, a sense of power, a sense of striving. And finally, maybe it's that sense of there's been a darkness that you just can't quite get rid of. What if those things are on God's New Year's resolution list for you? And do you know what? I I actually genuinely believe they are. And I have this confidence because it's written in our scriptures. What I'm speaking about specifically is Isaiah 61. When Jesus stood in the synagogue and read this out, proclaiming the truth of it, that that's what he'd come to do, it's actually still true now. So I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to read this scripture as a prayer and promise over this year. If you're able, stand if you're able. I'd love to read this together, yeah, as a way to pray and say, God, we would love to see this. And we can do this confidently because Jesus proclaimed this and said this is what he wants to do. So please join me. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. This is the word of the Lord. 
You can sit down. There are some beautiful promises in this scripture. Good news to the poor, people that need a new story, bind up the brokenhearted, that sense of healing, proclaim freedom, release from darkness, a spirit, and a garment of praise instead of despair. These are beautiful words. And we come to this in confidence because of Jesus. But also we come not just wanting to read these words and agree with them, but actually participate in that. God made us that way. If you look at Genesis 1, he created Adam and Eve and then wanted to participate with them in the world and help build the world and cultivate it and grow it. And so that is wired in us. We don't want to just hear these things. We're like, yes, God, how do I participate? How do I do this? And this is often, well, can be where those resolutions come in. What am I going to do this year? How am I going to participate? What's going to happen? How do I pursue what God wants to do or even what happens in the next year? But sometimes I think we kind of zoom in really a little bit too far. <laughs> and we get caught on our New Year's resolutions and we're like, okay, I'm going to work it out and write it out and it'll be planned by, please hear me, it's actually good to be a planned person. But get really detailed and fixated on these things getting all these lifts. And sometimes that even happens in our spiritual life. What disciplines will I put in to achieve a goal? Or maybe we sit in the other spectrum and think, well, if it's God's will, it'll just happen. How do we sit in the middle, not at each extreme? I want to um, ask you guys something and do a bit of a game. I'm wondering if anyone knows who this artist is. Any guesses? Ooh, it's a good guess. What was that? Monet. We've got a Van Gogh and Monet. Matisse. Matisse. Hmm. How about, hold on, let me get help you a little bit more. Ooh. Yeah, what, what do we hear, think now? Van Gogh. You guys, too good. It is, it's a beautiful image by Van Gogh. Stunning, right? There's something to be said for an impressionist painting. When you zoom right in, it's beautiful. There's colors and strokes and there's movement in it, but you can't actually recognize what the image is. It takes a little while to kind of step back, to take it all in. And the impressionists were really good at this. They create a feeling or a moment. They draw your attention to a particular part of the painting by leaving things out or highlighting something else. It's a beautiful way of communicating something. You recognize the strokes and the colors they favor. How did you recognize that this was Van Gogh? There's something familiar about his paintings, isn't there? He may paint a million different um, uh, objects or items, but there's a way that he paints that make you think, oh, that's Van Gogh, and a story that he tells often. And do you know what? God often speaks to us in this way as well. He's given us his word which is like a beautiful masterpiece when you look at the whole story of the Bible. And then there's great opportunities to zoom in on different things and understand it. But really, you only really ever understand it fully is when it's in its context, when you get to step back from it and look at it in that way. There are times in our lives where God will speak specifically to us. There'll be an audible voice hone in on something. But more often than not, we need that distance to create a greater understanding to make sense of things. God wants you to pay attention to something 
So he'll highlight it. He'll draw your focus to it. What is God's New New Year resolution for you that he wants you to focus on, and how do you do that? Well, I'd like to look at his word, his masterpiece. So we're going to start in Psalm 1, a beautiful psalm, which essentially puts before us a choice, an opportunity to focus. So let's, I'm going to read it for you, and then we're going to explore it a little bit more. So it says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but, though, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff, that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So God's word. If God communicates to us through big picture, how do we hold this? How do we read the scripture? And also, like a good impressionist, what details has he left for us to pay attention to? How did the writers draw our attention? Well, there's a few things in here that we can focus on. Starting with the first word of the psalm, blessed. We all want to have a blessed life, right? It's usually what the year starts with. God, I would love to live a more fulfilling life, a life of freedom and truth and growth, not just for me, but for my family. In this sense of being blessed, it's actually plural in this verse. So it's blessings, and it can be multiple things. But the main thing that actually blessing comes from is God's presence. We often think of being blessed by being financially stable or having excellent health or, you know, list all the other things. And they are good things, but actually it all comes from God. They're they're byproducts of his character, of who he is, of everything that emanates from him. So the greatest blessing is to be in God's presence. That's what it was like in the garden with Adam and Eve. That was heaven, Eden, beauty, blessing, abundance over and over again. That's where Adam and Eve began. As we know the story, Adam and Eve chose something else to step out of that blessing. But from the beginning, as soon as that decision was made, God made a way to come back. God offers that opportunity for us. And the rest of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, is the story of God creating ways for us to return, teaching us it's the greatest thing in blessing. Teaching us is to how to love God and love others. That's actually what blessing is. Receiving and learning to love God and loving others. So what does it look like to be blessed? It's to choose to enter to God's, into God's presence. Verse 2 says, Whose delight is in the law of the Lord... The individual that is blessed is those who delight in the law of the Lord. Now, the law, again, something to focus on, a theme throughout the Bible. We see this throughout the Old Testament. The law is given to God's people, the Israelites, in a way to teach them how to love God and love others. It's a way back to the garden to be with him. And some of it gets really specific if you look in the Old Testament, particularly when Moses is receiving some of the law. And some of that is ritual and custom, how to be with God, because his presence was so awesome and overwhelming. 
had to learn how to be in his presence. But also, if you look at those commandments given on Mount Sinai, some of those laws are about how you treat others and how you love others. Loving God, loving others. The law, meditating on this, delighting in this. What does that look like now for us? Has it changed? How do we delight in God's law? It feels like an odd concept, but are we delighting actually in learning how to love him and love others? There is more complexity to the law, of course, but it's worth taking note. What is God saying through that word and through the history of his people? He wants to teach us how to love him and love others. And the law, the rules of morality, those, those boundaries actually help us do that even greater than we could ever imagine. We need those. As humanity, you see throughout the Torah, we tend to get it wrong. <laughs> there are stories time and again, and that's what the law does. It brings us back. Okay, let's keep going. How do we return to that state of blessing? So we delight in the law of the Lord, and we meditate on his law day and night. Meditate. Again, a beautiful word. Do you know, I think for our culture, there's not a whole lot that we actually meditate on intentionally. Please correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, you can do that afterwards as well. But, um, you know, what, what do we actually meditate on? What do we sit on? Again, the Hebrew word for this is like a muttering. It's like this muttering. They would meditate on the word. They're thinking about it, saying it, reading it over and over and over again. The first five books of the, of the Bible. What does it mean to meditate? Do you know, day and night as well. Do you know, I confess, the only thing, I really felt confronted by this, the only thing that I find that I keep close to me, that I meditate on, that I always have with me, is my phone. Right? Day and night. When you wake up in the middle of the night, what do you tend to do? I'll just quickly look on my phone. Maybe I'll just do a bit of reading. What time is it? I mean, some of us, let's be honest, take it to the bathroom. Day and night, meditation doesn't leave us. It's weird. Culturally, is that the only thing that we are so close to, so fixated on? I don't know about you, but I feel confronted by that. What if we used God's word? What if we sat in his word, this great story, this thing that he's asking us to focus on in a similar manner? Day and night. And again, when you're looking at the word of God, sometimes there are really specific teaching in it, and sometimes it's actually, like the Impressionists, more broad, more metaphoric. So day and night, yes, reading the word in the morning, during the day, sitting with it, meditating it, muttering it, and night, praying it, coming back to it. What if you woke and actually sat in God's word? But also day and night can mean day. When things are going well in life, these words of the Bible are beautiful praises to God, to honor him, to say, thank you for blessing me. I give this back to you and I honor you. And also the night of life, when it is dark and it's hard, these words you come back to as a space of hope and promise. Day and night, meditating on his word. What would that look like? That looks like a blessed life. Time with God, loving God, loving others. So what is the result? What is the result of these first few passages of being blessed, of someone who delights in the law and someone who meditates on it day and night? Loving God and loving others. That person is like, it says, again, simile, metaphor, it's beautiful, like an impressionist. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. 
Again, if the writers of the Bible give you an image or something, it's worth looking at. What are they trying to show you? What, um, what image are they trying to conjure up in you? So let's focus in on it. What is a tree like? And the word there for this tree is planted. It's not a wild tree. It's been intentionally placed there. It's grounded. It's cultivated. It has deep roots. As the people of God, if we delight in his law and we meditate on it, we will be like this tree. Grounded, deeply rooted, knowing our purpose. This is what this passage is saying. And we will live by streams of water. Again, this imagery is so significant in our story, in God's story. Streams of water. In the Garden of Eden, there was water. That was where life came from, and Adam and Eve were designed to live by the water. And actually, if you read in Genesis 2, there are rivers that go out, four rivers from the Garden of Eden to water and feed the entire earth. There's a sense of abundance and a going out that God wants to bless the entire earth. That is a gift from God. So as we delight in the law, as we meditate on it, we are like those trees who know their purpose, who are strong, who are grounded, and who have a constant source of life. This water, these streams. Finally, what is the purpose of a tree? Well, in this case, this tree yields its fruit in season. I want to focus on one word in this section, yields. Isn't that a fascinating word to use? I think we're only used to it with maybe uh, traffic signs, yield, before you let someone else you know, go through. I also looked it up, being the Bible nerd that I am, and other words that are used to translate the Hebrew is bear. Think of a mother bearing a child, yielding and bearing. I think sometimes we get caught up, I myself know this, that we think we have to produce fruit, but actually this says yield and bear. There's almost this sense in which it happens to you. It happens through you, and God is the source of that. What does it mean to yield, to allow God to do that? I love the end of this sentence as well. Which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. How great would it be to say at the end of 2023, everything I did prospered? <laughs> right? That'd be pretty great. Again, the biblical explanation for this is a little bit different. If you go back or look in the Old Testament at Joseph, Joseph um, was, if you remember, given to the, Egyptian, yeah, to the Egyptians by his wonderful brothers. He ends up in um, Egypt under Pharaoh's household. And it says of him that whatever he did prospered in that household. So it wasn't actually his work, necessarily what he was doing, but everything around him prospered. Egypt's home, um, the Pharaoh's home, sorry, was abundant. There was lots of food around. There was life. There was health. That's prosperity. Not necessarily Joseph's life. He was living in a prison, actually. If you look at his life, it wasn't great. But what was around him prospered. That is of God. 
When God talks about a life of prosperity, it's for all people. It's his good work. It was fruit that was yielding in Joseph's life as he remained faithful to God, even in the midst of some of the hardest times. Stuck in the dungeon, not knowing what would be next. Sold, given away by his lovely brothers. Okay, so we're going to delight in the law, meditate on it day and night, and that person is like, we will be like trees planted by these streams of water. What a beautiful image. There's a second half to this, though. As I said at the start, this passage, like the beginning of the year, brings us to a choice, as Adam and Eve had in the garden. We have a choice today and every day to choose life or choose death, essentially. Because in verse 4, it says, not so the wicked. They will not be planted by streams of water. What are they like? Like chaff. And if you're wondering what that is, <laughs> it's the excess left over when corn is cut. It's usually tossed aside. Think of like, I've always imagined it, maybe this is just the Western perspective of it, like tumbleweed. Yeah. Chaff. Again, the biblical writers are trying to think of, help us think of an image. So a tree, deeply rooted, strong, sturdy, stands tall. Chaff, dry, weak, and blown about by the wind. It moves wherever the wind takes it. A tree can withstand the weather, can stand up in whatever comes. Chaff is different. It's not connected to life-giving water. And so what's our choice? To be a tree planted by streams of water or to be blown about by this world? seeking and trying to find life, but not ever quite landing or falling or finding ourselves in places we don't want to be. Where do you find yourself this morning? And what are you actually craving? What are you seeking? Are you feeling dry and needing those streams of water? Are you needing a place to stand this year? God is inviting us to that. We have a choice. Charles Spurgeon, when he writes about this passage, said talking about that sense of river, that sense of God being present of us, with us, that even if one river should fail, he has another. No matter what happens this year, God will be present. His life continues to come towards us. So even if one river should fail, he has another. The rivers of pardon and the rivers of grace, the rivers of the promise and the rivers of communion with Christ are never-failing sources of supply. Isn't that a beautiful and powerful promise? That is who Jesus is. Beautiful imagery. The Psalms are stunning. They're like songs and prayers. But sometimes, of course, in our humanity, we're like, yeah, Britt, but I want a bit more specific about how I'm going to do this. How do I become a tree? Obviously, I'm not a tree. I'm a human. This is all lovely. Well, God also was like, you know what? The law is kind of working, but not quite. I'm going to get more specific. So specific. It's hard to say a few times. I'm going to send my son as a beautiful image, and he's going to have all the details of what it means to be human and live with me. So I'll send Jesus. Boom. What a great idea, right? And I think one of the most specific ways Jesus obviously models it in his life, if you read about him in the Gospels, you see this in the way he lives his life. But also, he does teach us. Like the psalm, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 to Matthew 7, there are a lot of details in there 
that teach us of what it means to love God and love others. Also, how does the Sermon on the Mount start? What are the words? Blessing, blessed are those. Sound familiar? There are parallels here. Let's step back from the painting, look at the story. It's the same invitation that Jesus offers us, as was offered to Adam and Eve in the garden. And so you have the Sermon on the Mount, stunning. Can't go through it right now because that would take us ages, but I encourage you to look it up. But at the end, the very end, this is what I have up. This is what Jesus says. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus invites us with a choice. It's a similar, isn't it? I love the Bible. How many times it's weaved out, how many beautiful ways he communicates to us over and over again. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like. Jesus is saying, hear this. Not just hear this, hear this. Live by this, meditate on it, delight in it, plant yourself in it, take refreshment from it. Hear these words of mine and puts them into practice and participate with me. Trust and participate. Again, sound familiar? And do you know what? Reading the Sermon on the Mount can be really uncomfortable, and it's meant to be, because it challenges us. God recognizes who we are, and that we need help to live that life, to learn how to love him and love others. It's like we have this weird default or factory setting with our hearts that we kind of keep going back to. (laughs) So we need help. And Jesus is saying, I've given you words. God's saying, I've sent my son to show you what it means, to show you what abundant life means. Will you follow him? Will you trust and participate with me? And that is obedience. Obedience is essentially the act of trusting love. You're obediently saying, yeah, your word's true, God. I will delight in it and meditate on it because it is the truth above all else. And I will plant myself. I will participate with you. And I do this because I know you're trustworthy. Your love is trustworthy. So I'd love to end by asking a couple of questions. And I invite you to write them down or take a photo as an opportunity this year before we head into more of whatever it may look like with our jobs, commitments, school, to say, God, what is it that you are drawing my attention to? How are you currently painting my story? What are you highlighting? So I want to ask you to spend some time today, this week, asking the question, where does God appear to be most present in my life? To just dig a little deeper into that as you're typing that, writing it, or taking a photo. I uh, once had a a mentor say to me to go to where the life is, which I always found really weird and a bit too metaphorical. But what she meant was, where is God at work? Where is the life? 
What is of God's kingdom and of life? If you think about it, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Where are those things in your life? Not just where does it feel good, but actually where are you finding life in God, in the people around you? What have you noticed recently that gives you life or joy or where you've been working or sitting with God and you're seeing breakthrough? Just like exercise, you wouldn't actually describe it as good, but you know that it is. Sometimes the spiritual life can feel that way. But where is their life? Go to where the life is. And using past experiences to recognize God, he sometimes says things in the same way. And sometimes we'll say it differently, and that's why we have the biblical narrative to see how he speaks, as well as other people's stories. Do you realize that your story will help someone else find God? Because you're like, oh, I actually found him in that place. This is what it looks like. You're teaching them to recognize the same artist that you belong to that's painting your life. So that's the first question. The second has two parts, and it's this. What in my life is leading me toward God and others in love? And then the second one is because we have that wonderful default setting of wandering from God (laughs) and wanting to choose our own way. We are all prone because we're all human. What is leading me away? If we're going to trust and participate, just as we were called to do beginning of humanity, Adam and Eve, just as we're invited to do by the psalm and by Jesus today. Perhaps some of us, participation means getting out of the way, of putting aside all our lists and achievements, stop meddling and releasing control. Because what does it say in Psalm 1? It's not our agenda, but God's way, his law, his way. Letting him choose that. In Matthew 7, listen to these words of mine. Let God's authority, Jesus' word, shape that. So what does it mean to trust? Trust that he will be faithful to his word because he has been. Jesus is the representation of that. He does know what is best and allow him to define what is good, to help you focus in on that. Maybe for some of us, participation means turning up and remaining to participate, paying attention Someone, what does it look like to plant yourself by streams of water? If you love to wander and change and move, again, a beautiful characteristic, but maybe God's inviting you on this occasion to actually just plant yourself, to just be present with him. As Jesus said in Matthew 7, a wise man built his house on the rock. There is something solid to stand on, and Jesus is inviting you to stand there, to be with him in that. And the truth in that is choosing this is actually not limiting. Although it may seem that way, it's actually the way of life. These boundaries, as I said before, create and provide greater freedom to explore his goodness being planted. And finally, maybe participation means removing ourselves from environments, opinions, and the company we keep, whether that's physically or digitally. The start of the psalm, it talks about who we sit, walk, and stand with. In the Torah, you see what the Israelites did, keeping company with different nations, spending time with different people. 
Who will you walk, stand, and sit with this year? Is your participation being intentional about that, in inviting some people into that and also removing some of that? Jesus said, those who do not hear these words of mine, is God's word being drowned out by other influences? Maybe today the opportunity is to remove ourselves from those faces, from those voices, and to trust that God's voice is good. And that when it is the loudest, he will lead you to freedom and to life because he knows what is best for you. And he actually wants you to participate in something eternal and never ending, something everlasting, his kingdom. And when we focus on that, that's what will happen. And he will provide people around you to walk with you in that. So I'm going to get you to stand as I end. I love that the Sermon on the Mount is so specific and so beautiful. And I also love that Jesus is honest with us in that. In that passage, he says, he talks about the rain and the wind and the streams and the chaos of life. And like a house, we will be weathered by it. Life is not going to be easy following Jesus. That's not what he promised. But what he does promise is there is a solid rock to stand on and that we will be weathered but not broken. And so I'd love to pray for us, to ask Holy Spirit to highlight what he wants us to focus on. Where is God's love? How do we love God and love others? So that the prayer that we prayed at the start from Isaiah 61, we would be the fruit of that, that we would go out and share the good news, participate in binding up the brokenhearted. We talk about the freedom that God has brought us and do so for others. And we would be released from darkness. I believe that is what God wants for your life. So let's pray and just invite Holy Spirit to lead us. Lord Jesus, Father God, and Holy Spirit, thank you that you are the great artist and that you continue to teach us what it means to recognize you speaking the ways that you paint our lives for the story that you're telling and for the choice and invitation that you give us. Holy Spirit, I love that you know each person in this room. And I ask right now, whether you know Jesus or not, it doesn't matter. Whether you've been following him for a long time or only a few months, he wants to reveal more of himself to you. And Holy Spirit, I love that that's actually what you love to do. And so right now, I just ask you to do what you love to do. May you bring revelation to your people that we would be like these beautiful trees, steady, strong, yielding your fruit, bearing your fruit for your kingdom. And Holy Spirit, I ask right now for each person in the room as we come before you that you would highlight, you would show, you would give us images, words, a sense of where that is right now and how you want us to focus this year what you want us to look at, Jesus, where you want to bring freedom. I thank you that you will answer because you are faithful. I thank you that you already have by sending Jesus and that you will continue. We ask these things in faith and confidence in who you are. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen.